This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Well, hello, and welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. What's up, y'all? This is Dan, the fitness man, bringing you another dope episode today. Paul Medell, the Elk Nut, round two. Had him on the cast once before. He's fire. He spits so much energy. Uh, we're going to learn about his 2020 elk season. He says on the podcast he hasn't shared it on any other podcast, so this is the first time. I'm hearing it, you're hearing it on how he got it done. It's on September 2nd, public land over the counter. Paul's a really cool guy. He's been elk hunting for over 40 years. Uh, I remember buying his DVDs back in the day, his elk nut, uh, Worse Than Wolves, I think it was called. But uh, he's been a huge factor in my elk hunting learning curve. He has an app out. It's called the Elk Nut app. It's super cheap. Androids, iPhones, Apple, Google Play Store. Get it. Put it in your arsenal, save it. You can even lean on it in this, in while hunting. You can pull up the app, and it's got a great resource for just different scenarios, what to do, what the elk are saying. There's also a little section in there that I like my elk-shaped campers to use where you can actually record your own vocalizations and compare it to real elk vocalizations and kind of see how you're doing. It works really well when people come to camp and they're learning how to use diaphragm reads and make all the vocalizations from dirt. It's a good tool. So we usually encourage them to download that app and support Paul and what he does. And um, there's no one like him. So uh, let's get to a little bit of business and then let's get to this podcast. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit of a longer one, but it's, uh, it's juicy for sure. Uh, let's give a shout out to theelkcollective.com. We're going to talk about it a little bit on the podcast because I don't think Paul knew about it, but basically think of one-stop shop to learn how to elk hunt online. So it's a digital masterclass, a virtual online course where several elk hunters have come together to share their expertise on elk hunting from top to bottom. And that includes fitness, nutrition, all the tinkering with archery, muzzle and rifle, as well as how to get the right tags, tag allocation, public land tactics, whether it be scouting. We do have a lot of e-scouting on there. Uh, it's certainly not to the level of Treeline Academy, which I'll talk about in a second, but it's definitely really effective. It's what you need to know to e-scout effectively, which is um, honestly a huge part of my game. Uh, besides, you know, a lot of you guys see me working out and shooting my bow all the time, but I bet I e-scout more than both of those combined. That's the truth. So we do have a pretty thorough e-scouting section on there. We include videos on how to break down elk every knife stroke and then how to hunt elk, whether you're going to be sneaky, partner setups, the terrain types, open country, timbered country. Uh, it's just the one-stop shop, and it's got 120-something videos on there right now, and we're just adding more. 
my favorite part of the whole elk collective is where we take some of our hunts and we do like a director's cut where like say Dirk's killed his bull last year with a mouth tab. Well, we go through that entire video and pause and ask questions and dive deep on basically why did he do what he did? What, what was the wind doing? What was the elk saying? Why did you do this? Why did you move up? Why did you set up there? And it's really informative. So we're going to take over that space because I think people are more, they have more of an appetite for video than just reading. And that's what the Elk Collective is. So we have a discount code, $25 off the course. Use the discount code Elkshape Podcast. Part of my e-scouting involves Tag Hub from Eastman's. Uh, that's where I get their expert analysis on each state, the draw process, their recommendations, as well as they have like this ridiculous spreadsheet where you can filter so many things about a specific unit, including how many hunters per 100 square miles, their grade on the terrain, the trophy quality, the access, the hunting pressure. It's super next level. So discount code is ElkShape15. Check out Eastman's Tag Hub. That's one of my resources I use on my e-scouting. NUMA Outdoors, this is what I am wearing while hunting going forward. Uh, this company is out of Texas. I got to wear their stuff and test it during October, November, December hunting season. Fell in love and we inked a deal. I am with NUMA. Use the discount code ElkShape20. Got a link in the show notes. They got everything and a bunch of new stuff coming out in 2021 I can't wait to talk about. Uh, like I said, Treeline Academy, Mark Livesey has an e-scouting specific course for elk. So it's super next level. You got to be ready to get ultra nerdy and learn all the things. He dives so deep that uh, it's going to take you a while to do the course and to do it right and to do it justice. Use a discount code ELKSHAPE and that course will only be 99 if you're going to use an e-bike for elk hunting like I do from time to time, get a Baku. Those guys are hunters. They make e-bikes for hunters, especially out west. The discount code is ElkShape300, and that'll knock $300 off your bike. Black Ovis is back in 2021, selling everything, all brands. Check out their arrow selector. You can even have them glue in inserts and cut your arrows for you if you want the whole thing done. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE and you can get 10% off. I think they're going to actually start carrying AAE Max Stealth ELKSHAPE veins. Well, be on the lookout for that. Stowaway Gourmet is out of Oregon. I have no sponsorship with them. They just have a discount code for you guys. If you like freeze-dried food, I'm saying this is some of the best tasting and macronutrient-friendly stuff out there. And you need the discount code because their stuff is not cheap. Use the discount code ELK10. Knock 10% off. Uh, three more Northwest retention systems. Uh, again, Tim, I've had him on the podcast, his side hustle turned into his full-time job. The dude makes custom gun holsters and that is his full-time gig. And so he makes an elk shape chest holster. It says elk shape on it. It's the scout. It goes underneath your bino harness. It fits. Uh, that's where you want your handpiece for sure. You can pick any handgun you want. He's got molds for all of them. And if he doesn't, he can make it. There's no discount code. Just find the elk shape one. Order that. There'll be zero shipping and handling, and the lead time's less than five days. Wilderness Athlete is one of my favorite partners. It's one of the first companies I ever partnered with, believe it or not, back in 2006, I think. And so they make packout bars, packout bites, uh, hydrate recover, energy and focus, awesome protein powders, multis, fish oil. The whole lineup's great, but I mentioned a lot of things that I use while hunting specifically. So if you're going to make a bulk order, 
Make sure that you use discount code ELKSHAPE30 and you'll get 30% off your first purchase. And last but not least, Vortex Wear. They make a lot of the hoodies, jackets, shirts, and shorts that I wear while working out, while scouting. And they have a discount code ELKSHAPE20 gets you 20% off. Let's get into it with the Elk Nut. There is no other. And this is the Elk Shape Podcast. So how are you? Dude, I'm pretty good. I, I can't complain. I, I'm busy as I've ever been, and it's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, man, just working hard every day and um, blah, 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 you know. Um, Is that shape what you're doing for a living? Yeah, it's a full-time gig. I mean, you don't do anything else. That's it. So, like, I'll give you a snapshot. This is my third podcast today. I, I did not plan on doing three today, but uh, did that. Um, so you're whipped. Not at all. I'm just warming up. <laughs> and you know, it's a weird, it's a weird life I live right now. Like, it's uh, doing elk shape full time. It makes sense. Like, from the outside looking in, like, oh yeah, that's that's sustainable because I we do so many camps and we do so many platforms podcasts youtube social um and then i have the elk collective so yeah man it's all just elk hunting right now and i consider that to be a pretty good deal so yeah man what is the elk collective um it's something i need you to help us out with it's uh so it's basically online elk hunting school so instead of um you know, for folks that just want to learn more about elk hunting, it's a, a video-based digital education. So uh, we teamed up with a lot of people to make it so it's not just one way to kill an elk. Like, it's not that just the elk nut playbook. It's not just um, like Dirk, Dirk Durham's or Joel Turner or Jason Phelps. We've brought in Brian Barney, who doesn't make any vocalizations. Uh, we brought in... A whole bunch of people to get their take because I believe everyone brings a lot of value to the table, and I feel like the more tactics you know, the more likely you are to have success and pivot in the field. And so we we kind of covered all that, but elk vocalizations just like part of it. It's like the fitness side of thing, like how to get in shape for elk hunting year round the technical archery side of things and the technical muzzle loader and the technical rifle things that you need to be aware of e-scouting how to do all the e-scouting you know getting boots on the desktop is what we say and then um even breaking down a bull like every blade stroke of a gutless method and meat care and the sky's the limit but we decided to do the elk collective uh, as a way to like just bring as many cool elk hunters yourself, we really want you on there too. And I've had requests to get you on there. Um, just to get a little bit of everyone and then also have a place to be like, Hey, if you like elk nuts, what he has to say, like, here's his resources, go download the app or go to his website, get some books and DVDs. Uh, we've done that with Barney and promoted his podcast. Um, Chris Rowe, Rowe hunting resources, um, Dirk and Jay. I mean, get as many people on here that are successful and, and learn from them. And so that's kind of what the Elk Collective is like a one-stop shop to learn a little bit from everybody. So that's what that how, is. How, how's it doing? It's kicking butt. It's good. It's, 
I want to say what you guys are doing. So you're doing good and it's, and it's being productive and financially as well as, 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 as having a lot of fun doing it too. Cause you're, you guys are all elk nuts. I mean, that's just the bottom line. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, at heart. Yeah. I think it's cool. I think it's just like a newer way to learn how to elk hunt instead of like maybe reading PDFs or a book. It's all video driven. So it's just kind of taking it to the next level as far as some people want to consume this knowledge by watching a video versus just reading. You know, it's like anything, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words type of thing, you know. So and and, and, and I and I agree with you, you know, I know just for instance, real quick. Um, we're not we're on Instagram but we're not like on Instagram to where we try to build it and do anything. Cause we really don't care. I'm just Good. that guy. I, I'm not the guy that says I got to have a hundred thousand. I just don't care. I, but, and I don't do Instagram. I look at it, but my son's the one that does it. But right. just to give you an example of what you're saying, we usually get, you know, anywhere from 300 to 700 views on something. It depends on what it is. And then one day when we were out in the field this year, well, I guess last year's um, hunt, I told Paul, I says, hey, it's dark here. Let's see if we can locate a bull. And he goes, okay. So he videoed it with his phone. I don't know if you saw it or not, but we videoed it. And I mean, it's only like 30 seconds. We had over 12,000 views on that. I mean, it was like, what? This is what people are, you know, kind of jumping on and, and, and accepting and want to see. Wow. And we don't even get a thousand ever. I mean, it's just not that way. But we have over twelve thousand views, and then I did it a few other times, and it went. I think it was anywhere from five to eight thousand, just little things. And 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 so I do understand what you're saying, Dan. As a matter of fact, Taylor and I know you know Taylor Tibbetts. We talked uh, <laughs> yesterday, and that's our next move on the on the app. Is 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 we're going to have an entire section of nothing but videos. Nice. And, and they're going to be like one to five minute videos. And he's, you know, he's blah, blah, blah. Taylor's, he's a nice guy. He really is. And he knows his stuff. And, and so that's kind of the direction he wants to take the app. And, you know, in addition to what's already there and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. There's a lot of folks out there. And if a guy can, you know, jump on the bandwagon and, 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 and offer stuff, you know, my foot in the door, Dan, I mean, look at it in the beginning. There was nobody. None. As a matter of fact, I don't even think Chris Rowe was there. I remember Chris Rowe coming on the scene about a year and a half after I started. And I, I don't know if he was ever there before, but I had never heard of him or seen anything about a year and a half later. And then about a year after I started, Jim Horn came on the scene and his was kind of short lived. Really nice guy. Jim and I have met many times. He really is a cool guy. But so, I mean, I, I can see from so many years ago, I mean, it was like 23 years ago and, and, and when I first started all this little stuff and, 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 and to see what it took to get to the level and see, I mean, we've sold a couple million dollars worth of stuff. I mean, so, but, but at the same time, it was like, I, I started in the first year, I mean, it was like 150 bucks. I mean, it was just nothing. And, and, and it just, I saw what it took to get there and I could easily get into the millions of dollars right now if I wanted to. Oh, I know I can, I have, I know exactly what it takes, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> I just don't care. I'm just 65 now. I'll be 66 here shortly. I don't need the money. And so it was kind of like, you know, everything's is, I just absolutely love elk and elk hunting and I can hunt elk in any situation. I don't care. 
if they're vocal or not vocal. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to kill them all, but I mean, I can hunt sagebrush country. I can hunt timber, but I enjoy the vocalization. And, and so I kind of, I choose that direction because it, it, it's what's in me. It's that adrenaline rush, you know, and you'll see when you start getting in your 60s, you're going to see that life doesn't offer a lot of those high energy rushes anymore. Hmm. It's just not the same. And so you kind of seek these things out that really still give you, I mean, even being with, you know, your partner, your wife, I mean, those are all great things. But after a while, you know, they, they things taper off. I mean, it's just the way it is when you've been married 45 years. And so elk hunting is like this little escape that when you do get into them or you're, or, or you have that connection, it just never gets old. There's something about it that you're always learning. And I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I mean, I'm learning constantly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot. I know a lot. I really do. And I know I do. But you, it's not – you never end, man. It's just you never graduate from it. I mean, these elk always got something. And and that's what makes it so cool is maybe I feel I, owe, I, I know 95%. And in my heart, I really know I do. I, there's no question in my mind. But there's that, it's that 5% that I probably will never know. And, and, and so, you know, you just, it, there's something in you that just keeps you going like that, kind of like your elk shape thing. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I mean, just, and, and, and to see not only you doing elk shape, but what you look like, you know, you're not just a sayer, you man, you're a doer. As a matter of fact, I had no idea you were that ripped. I saw you on a couple of your things. I'm like, shit, this dude is the real thing. I already knew you worked out like crazy, but I had no idea you looked. You can't tell when you're wearing a shirt. You just kind of look like a guy that's fit. But So you're saying I shouldn't wear a shirt and people would know. Oh, my God. When I saw <laughs> you in a shirt, no, because most people wouldn't want to be around you then. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they compare themselves like, oh, my God. You know, no. I mean, I, it, it was impressive. When I saw you, I was like, this guy, I already knew that you were a workout guy. I already knew that, but I never knew you had taken it to that level to where you look like a top notch UFC fighter. You know, you're that, you have that kind of condition. You know who you remind me of that, uh, the guy, the UFC fighter, he's the T what is it? Is it TJ or T what the hell is he? Um, he's from California from, uh, uh, from Murphy's California area. He's he was a champion. He, for uh, uh, two times over. Dillashaw? Uh, Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw. Yeah. You remind me of, you see how ripped that kid is? That kid's oh, ridiculous, isn't he? Isn't he a bow hunter too? Uh, you know, he is. And he, what, the funny thing about that is I know his dad really well. Oh, okay. I grew up, at, I'm, that's where I'm from. I'm from Calaveras County. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's exactly where we're, and Brenda, my wife, went to school with her, his dad. And that's Hal Dillashaw is T.J. Dillashaw's dad. And so I knew all these guys and I wrestled with Hal Dillashaw before and watched him turn me into a pretzel in about two seconds. <laughs> oh, he's, he's this guy's state champ. He's everything. He's amazing. And so to see T.J., his son, come out of that the way he is, it was no surprise because it's a, they're really a badass family and, and, and they're super nice. But you, you remind me of T.J. when I see him. He, he's just so cut. You know, for 135 pounds, I know you're bigger than that, but, but I know, uh, it, it's funny how little things like that remind you of things when you're, when you're looking at things. Uh, but I think that's very impressive that you, you live what you teach. And I think that's probably your niche in the industry. <clears throat> you're an elk killing machine, but 
I learned a long time ago, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to tell you what to do or anything like that, but I learned a long time ago that when you stay with your niche, with your strength, that's where your financial gain is 10 times stronger than when you're trying to shoot off and do other little things that, 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 that maybe help income and do this and that. There, it's nice. It's fun. It does bring some in, but never lose sight of what got you there. And, and Rocky Jacobson had always told me that. He goes, Paul, you do a lot of stuff. He says, but never lose sight of you. Your niche is elk sounds. You do it like nobody else does it. He's told me that so many times, and he says, make sure that's always your strong point. And you know, he's always been right over the years, because I've known Rocky a long time. And he just said, always make it. And that's really where the financial gain for us had came from. There's no doubt about it. It was that. It wasn't how many bugles I sold or how many elk calls I sold or books or anything like that. It was that thing right there. And so, and that was my driving force was to make that work. And I mean we've done really really well with it and so everything else just ended up being like a little bit more spice here and there adding things but it wasn't like it was going to take over the app is good it really is it does really well the app is awesome too like we're getting at the elk shape camps we're trying to get everyone to have that in their back pocket when they head to the mountains is long i've elk a long time and i still find value in like okay what like it's almost like a what would Jesus do bracelet? It's like a what would Paul Medell do type thing. You can just pull that app up real quick. And guys listening, like for those listening too, like this app, like it's cheap. It's on your phone, and you like I can't tell you how many times I've been elk hunting, and maybe it's slow, and I'm like, you know, I really want to do a cold call set, and I really want to follow it to the T of kind of what you know what Paul's learned over the years, and it works, dude. Like it. It's really cool to have that and just go through it. How long has that app been out, man? I think it's three years. This is, I think we're kind of right into the three-year period with it. I want everyone to kind of have it because it's good to like revisit throughout the year when you're working your sequences, assuming people actually practice their vocalizations. But it's also good to like just kind of understand what the elk are saying and the behavior and you can kind of almost anticipate what they're going to do before they do it, which is really kind of how you cinch the noose on killing an elk. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I like the way you, you put that. <laughs> you <know>? That's good. <laughs> I know. It's and, true. And that's, I think that's why that's the thing that Taylor was trying, we talked about. And I think that's the direction. One of the reasons he was trying to go the direction he is heading is because, you know, it's good and it's fine and good that, that people can see the information. But I think a lot of people just read over things and, and they don't really digest it. And if they were to, digest it really well as they read the detail part of it you know it, they would learn so much quicker but people aren't that way they, you know in this in in just a time frame that we live in the high-tech you know society it, people they just want to see instant success and and, and they want to see the magic wand or all you have to do is this they, that that's what they really want and so there really is no such thing you know it's a combination of stuff and just like you said look at the guys you mentioned that are elk killers it's a combination put it all together how versatile are you mm. when you're in certain situations are you able to adapt and adjust and go in that direction and not be one or two dimensional and just force things because this is all you really know and so you're trying to force it 
an open country elk, semi-country elk, thick timber, you know, and that's all you're doing. Instead of changing your mindset and realizing when I'm in this type of terrain or cover, this is this is a, a, a better way to think and, and, and or a tactic to use. You know, are they in their bedding area or in their transition? Are they in feeding? You know, those are all the things I think about. And so those are the things that help me to apply a specific uh, set of sounds or a tactic or I'm not getting on them. I need to go to lost cow stuff or, you know, I need to go to regathering sounds, double, triple up my bugle with a groin in between. You know, sometimes I'm just trying to create excitement enough to get a response. I'm not trying to call them to me. And you start realizing that. And the more open the country, way less calling I'm going to do. I'm going to let my eyes, my glass do the work until I can get to where they're at. And if I feel calling is necessary, then I will use it. If that's not, I'm not going to be a fool and give my position away in wide open country and do that just because I want to. You know, there's no the results usually are low odds of success if you start doing a lot of calling in real open country and you know that as well as i do you know it's not rocket science here so they look over and see nothing and you know immediately there's red flags raised and and and, and so you need to avoid things where you're going to create low odds i want to create high odds and that's why i have different tactics for different things it doesn't mean this tactic won't work for this but what it showed me over 40 years of elk hunting is it's a slow mover. I'm in a situation where I want quicker action. So this tactic will give me quicker results than this one. It's not that both can't work, but one I can do usually, we're talking over, you know, a thousand bulls called in here on over-the-counter hunts. This is this gives me the experience. It gives me my, the feedback in my head that this is what usually works best in this situation and the quickest. And especially if I'm dealing with the thermal starting to move around, I know I need, okay, I need to get them to react to me very quickly now. I can't mess around because the wind can bust me here. So, you know, I think of all these things when I'm out there. And that's how I'm trying to adapt to the terrain, to the time frame of the day, what the elk, how excited are they, how are they not. And, 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 and really, Dan, I, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I really believe that I'm really close at 80% when I come on an elk. That's, how my, that's my odds of call, calling him in will be 80%. And, and, and so those are the things that you have to do. You have to have a lot of mistakes over the years. You know <laughs> that as well as I yeah. do. Before you start learning and understanding and, and elk aren't create, created equal, you have to understand what worked on one may not apply to the other at all, not even close. And that's when you start you know, realizing that the, the, their emotional mindset for that time, I'm, 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 I'm messing with them. I can tell I'm only half a mile off a road, over the counter. I already know I got to play with them with kid gloves. This guy's probably heard a lot of different sounds, a lot of different hunters. And so I got to really pay close attention to him if I'm going to call him in. I can't just be the Joe Blow hunter out there that can blow a cow call and a bugle. I have to actually communicate with this bull. And sometimes you have to do it on a very low, low level, very low, because he's apprehensive. And I can feel it. I can hear it in his in his sound. And, 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 and as you come, as you become more of an elk hunter and, and the versatility exists, you start seeing that. And there's a lot of guys and I, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't say, I'm not meaning anything bad about this, but Brian Barney, I've talked to him there before and he's, a, he fails at that majorly. 
He really does. And that's why he, 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 you don't see him hunting dark timber. He could care less about it. He's an open country guy because he's used sounds in the past, very, uh, a, a, a few positive results. He's not effective at it. And so you see him go in a direction where his strength is. His strength is open country, slipping in, being quiet because he doesn't think calling works. I'm the opposite. I know calling can work and, and, yep. and I enjoy it. And I can call in big bulls and I can call little bulls. I can call spikes. I can call cows. I can call anything. I'm not the guy that wants to sneak on them because I don't get that adrenaline rush. I don't get that thrill. It doesn't mean I'm not happy with an elk on the ground. I've done it. And it's just not there for me. Yeah. So I, I get in those situations where I'm forced to call. I, I make sure the cover's there, but I do it very smartly. There's no way that it's like the bull I killed this year. I had to play him very smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. That's what the, well, let's back it up. Just rattling. No, no, no. I'm going to organize you a little bit, but like the, the Paul, I want to get into this year's bull. Like, and I want you to like set the stage for us because I've talked to a lot of elk hunters this year. This year was a little bit, you know, it was a different kind of year for a lot of people. There's some correlations and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but, um, you killed, you killed elk. I killed elk. Like you could kill elk this year. Um, but it was year of the COVID. There was, there was a lot more people elk hunting, a lot more people with time off to elk hunt and a lot more people in the mountains recreating when it was September. So, uh, this is a perfect time. Take us through your Idaho elk season. I, I am so stoked to hear this cause I have no clue. I just know you, well, I know the ending. That's it. Yeah. I've never shared anything. I, this is the first podcast I've done. Yeah. So anything I talk about or anything, this is all brand new. It's not like on five other ones or anything like that. Right on. But, you know, it's just like we were talking a little bit earlier. I take into consideration where I'm hunting. I'm taking into consideration how heavily have the elk been hit. I don't need to hear him first. I just need to know the, I need to know the area. I need to know how close I am to a road. I need to know where he is when I'm first hearing him and, and what I need him to do to put him in a good position for, for, for me having an opportunity to kill him. And so on in the, in the case of that bull, it was September the 2nd. I believe it was the second day that we had went out. My son and I were together that we had went out. And on this particular bull, if I did not know what I know now, I would have never had an opportunity at this bull. And, and most people wouldn't. Because they would not be able to read between the lines of what was taking place. And, and, and so, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You, you, you've killed enough elk. And there are times we're just flat lucky. And then there's times that we make our luck. We know what we're doing. We are confident. We are positive that a good thing can come from this outcome. There's never any guarantees. My God, it's elk hunting, you know. But yeah. We know that we're putting in our, ourselves into a really good position because of past experiences. So when you're building, when you're talking about I'm going by my gut, you know, the successful guy is going to be going by his gut by past experiences. He's not just going off a whim, but no, his gut is built and designed by what he's failed at and what he's succeeded at in the past. And in my case, I have a whole lot of years of both. And so I knew about what was going on with this bull. When I first heard him bugle, I wasn't even sure I heard him. And my son was questioning me. We had went up to a spot. We were about a mile and a half in. And so when we first heard this bull, which I thought I heard him, which was very, uh, very unreal 
because I hardly ever hear anything before Paul. And my ears just aren't that great. You know, when you're going on 66, they're just not the best they ever was. And you were a masonry contractor with all these saws going. But I thought I heard a bull way down below me, which would have put him near the dirt road where we were parked on. And Paul's like, no, there's nothing. I said, man, I swear I heard a high note. And so we're sitting there waiting, waiting. I'm just giving you the story of what happened. And so I'm sitting there and we're in a draw. There's a deep draw to our left and it goes up on a, to another mountainside, uh, uh, you know, ahead of me. I'm on the right, draws in the middle, elk's on the left where I think he is. And when I heard him, I would estimate him to be a half a mile away. And, you know, if the terrain is right, even in thick timber and you're elevated, you can still hear a long way in thick timber. Just because you're in dark timber doesn't mean you can only hear 150 yards. No way. Sometimes you're in the bottom of a bowl or something. Your sound don't go out. But I knew I heard something. So 10 minutes went by. I called a couple times. Well, I shouldn't say that. Paul did. Paul called a couple times. Nothing, nothing. And then all of a sudden I thought I heard him again. No way. I, yeah, I said, Paul, did you hear me that time? Did you hear him? He goes, Dad. No, he knows my ears ring. I have, I've had it for a hundred years. It seems like, and he goes, that's what you're hearing. I says, son, there's something different about what I'm hearing. It's it's just a note. And so, and we're really, we don't even know where he is. And I'm thinking he's on that one side though. So we're sitting there and I mean, literally 15 more minutes go by. We're in an area that we've called elk to the right, but we've never been to the left. I've never been there in my life. Only on this right side, which is a whole different different country, and that's where we figured the elk would be. So we're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, Paul goes, I did hear one. I heard him, but we can't tell where he is. That's how far right. he is. Yep. So we're sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, waiting, trying to think what to do. So Paul calls again, nothing. Calls again, nothing. You know, and again, basically, he's just using a location bugle. He's not, this thing is so far away. What are you going to do? Get fancy with cow calls? He ain't going to hear you. He's, he's just so far. So we're trying to reach him, not call him to us. Just give, give, get him, give us enough, you know, rapport back that we get an idea. Finally, we both heard him at the same time. And again, it was just the end of something really high pitch. And we know he's to our left now. We have to go down the draw, go back up the other side. And now... It's full moon, if you remember right, on September the 2nd. It was a full moon time. Yes, because it was September 2nd. Was We had just gotten snowed pretty good on the f- on the 30th, August 30th. We had gotten snowed on where we were at in Idaho. Oh, it was and hot. The- we were pushing almost 80 degrees here. Okay, okay, yep. Yeah, it was really hot that time. But anyway, so we go down the bottom of the draw and start heading up the other side knowing that is where we heard him was on that side. And I told Paul, I said, I said this bull, now that we both heard him, it's telling me that he was down below and he's now coming up. He's coming up to bed because mm. now we can both hear his voice. We didn't hear it before, so he's not going away from us or or getting further going down toward that road. He's coming up to bed. So that was a good indicator right there that he and so and I told him, I mean he knows too. I said, We gotta catch him in his bed. That's what we gotta do. If we catch him in the move and we start calling, he's not gonna come. He's in transition. It's September the 2nd. You know, it's not a big deal. Nothing is answering him. I said, we just need to catch him where he wants to be, and we got a chance. So we start heading over that way. We ended up hitting a bench. We came actually came to a wallow that was on, to our left, and we looked down at the wallow. We probably got within 30 or 40 yards, and it was just pounded. Yes. I said, oh, I said, you know what? I bet that's him right there. That's him. He's hitting this wallow. Let's take this bench. It was right on a bench. And I said, let's just side heel this bench around and stay right on it. And the last time we heard him was way below us, but we didn't call anymore. 
So we don't want to give him any idea what our intent is. You know, he thinks we're an elk. He doesn't think we're a human. So we started walking that bench, going down the bench, and we probably went maybe a quarter of a mile. And I said, just for fun, Paul, give him some cow calls. See if he'll answer anything on a cow sound. So Paul goes through a little array of cow sounds just to get him to ignite. Bull never said a sound. Nothing. Hmm. So I said, all right, let's move another hundred. I said, this time bugle. And when he bugled, that bull just was, I mean, just roared. I mean, it was just bam. Paul cow called again. Nothing. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Game on. Told him right there. I said, Paul, don't cow call again. No more. We're done with cow calls. He doesn't give a rat's butt about it. Don't do it. We're going to give him what he is exciting him. I says, he has to be getting close to his bedding area. We are way up. I says, I think he's somewhere in this bench area. We just saw the wallow. We know he's not very far from that. I says, so let's consider this the area is his domain. To him, you know how they are. When you get a bull that's in that one little area, whether he has cows or not, he will protect that little spot. It's just he doesn't like other bulls on it. Or in his area. That's all there is to it. He doesn't like it. Whether he has a hot cow or not, this bull did not. So we crept in where we last heard him, and all of a sudden the bull bugled again. Well, guess what? He bugled from that same area. He couldn't have been 30 yards. I told Paul, I said, that's it. This bull's going to die. And I did. I told him, this bull's going to die. I said, that bull is right where he wants to be. He bugled twice now. He's in the same spot. He's Whether he's bedded or not, he's in his vicinity. Yes. So, you know how they are. So I said, let's get in there real quick. So we got into probably 150 yards. And I told Paul, I said, you just stay right here. There's a knoll right in front of me. And it probably wasn't even 25 feet high. But it was high enough that I knew he was above it somewhere and he couldn't see me. So I crept up on the knoll. It's only maybe 35 yards from my son. And I could look back and I could tell he was getting ready to rake. And he knows a lot of times, you know, if you're going to rake a bull, even though we established contact way back, you never want to start raking without giving an elk sound. If you do, I promise you, you guys out there will lose more bulls if you start raking when your last sound was 200 yards away or much further. If you walk into their bedding area and you start raking, they will run. They are out of there. Man, that is such a good tip. Pause. Did you guys hear that? That is such a good tip, Paul. I've done that mistake. Sound first. I established identity. I've had guys come to me, goes, man, I got in there and raked and he just ran. Well, I mean, you know, cause they're saying I had, it's a, I'm a bull. I'm a bull, but the bull doesn't look at it like that. He no. hears the crack pop snap. And so, you know, everything to these things is survival instinct. They don't know what you are. If you're a wolf, a bear, a mountain, they don't know what you are. And, but you, you and your mind and your heart want them to read your mind and go, Hey, I'm an elk over here. You know, and that's how we think as humans, but get rid of that. When you, before you rake, make an elk sound Good that tip. alleviates, it defines the situation going on there. And so Paul knows it. You just definitely don't rake first unless you've already called and uh, you know, then you can proceed. But it, does this mean this will happen a hundred percent of the time? The elk will always run. No, but I can tell you 90% they do. They are gone. And yeah. you're like, what the heck? No. So even if you give a cow sound, I don't care what you give establish what you are there when they start hearing that little bit of a noise ruckus hucking stuff rolling things let them know so the minute he got there he just kind of gave a kind of went he kind of went he just made a real elky sound through his tube i'm not using a tube yeah 
Then he started raking, and that bull answered. Paul yelled back at him. He screamed, and that bull cut him off like two more times before he could even make a sound. And I went, oh, this bull's so done. You know, you in your mind, you're like, you've been in it so many times. You're like, this guy's coming. There is yep. no doubt we are in his bedding area. It's September the 2nd. You just don't get him that excited usually, but you take advantage of it when you do. As I heard it, I crept up to the side hill, not over the top of the knob. I didn't want to show myself. So I crept over to the right side, but getting close to the top of it. You know what I mean? Just yes. enough not to expose, stay hidden. And as I crept, I kept, there was a trees there, several little pine trees, and I got right into him. And I'm looking. He doesn't know I'm there. Paul's calling back there. And now Paul's raking. He's raking, raking. He's stomping a little bit. He gives another bugle. And all of a sudden, about 80, 90 yards away, I see the bull. And he is just – he's coming quick. He On a quick walk, he's not running. And I see him coming. He's like – 90, 80, 70, 65, yet 40, I draw, and I'm thinking as soon as he hits this one little opening, I this is where I'm going to try to stop, and he should be at 30. Well, when he got there, the ground it wasn't exactly the way I thought it was, and as soon as he got there, I could just see the top of his back. I'm like, wow, there's a little bit of a ravine there that you know I couldn't see, and yeah. so I'm glad I didn't stop him because I had nothing. I would have had to spine him, you know, if I was lucky and I don't want to do that. That's not ethical. And so as soon as he got there and I could see real quick in my mind, I'm already at full draw, that he had no idea what was going on. My son said, Dad, I saw you come at full draw. So I immediately went down below you a little bit more because I could see you following him with your bow. So I wanted yeah. to make sure he didn't just turn around and make a frontal out of it. So he kind of went around. So Paul was very smart at calling. So for you guys, if you're your caller, a lot of times you have to give the bull the direction that your shooter needs, if at all possible. You don't ever want to move if you're going to get spotted. But Paul was in a good spot, good setup. He could do that. He had that luxury. So as that bull left there, I'm thinking, I see another little spot where he's coming. He's making his way toward Paul. I'll stop him. Right as he gets to that spot, I had ranged a few spots, and I thought, man, that's like 25, 27 yards. And as soon as he gets there, I'm going to nervous grunt him. And I'm at full draw following him this whole time, and he walks through a little opening. And just as soon as I'm getting ready to, to give him a <laughs> I don't have to. There's a log there. Again, I do not see it. I'm just enough elevation or not enough to where I can't see the log. And he stops to step over it. And he's a really nice six point. And he's just standing there to step over the log. And my arrow just went shoop, right through his lungs, stuck in the ground on the other side. And, of course, Paul's calling. And he's looking. He had his hands in the air because he walked around. He goes, he could hear the bull running. What happened? And so he's like, why didn't you shoot him? What happened? I said, I didn't shoot him. <laughs> I said, because usually you can hear it. You can hear that arrow flying, but he never heard anything. So that was kind of neat. When you know, and your son's there and whatnot. And so he comes popping up there. What happened? This and that, da, da, da. But the reason we killed that bull is because we we caught him in his bedding area. If we would have went below and tried to catch him when we first heard bugles, you know, where a lot of people get too anxious and just start running at him. And, and he's still on the move. You're rarely ever going to call him to you until you get him where he wants to be now he's defensive but he really isn't defensive outside of his bedding area so much it doesn't mean you could never call him in but your odds are low you're much better off to get him right where he wants to be and i usually know that if i can hear one or two bugles or in that case i knew there was a wallow there i knew i was on a bench you know that i it should be his area and of course it all uh, worked out real fine and 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 he came just strolling right in and packing him out in 80 degree temperature i'll tell you something you hear a lot of guys dan and they'll say 
don't go too far back. Don't do this because, you know, of, uh, of, uh, are you in shape? And I'll tell you what kills me more than anything. And it's heat. I will take distance over heat. This, this pack was roughly a mile and a half, maybe a hair more. And it took us six hours to get him out of there. We don't, we weren't on trails when we don't hunt like that. We're through downfall and crap and real steep where you're going up and down, but at a mile and a half. And I may be old, but I'm not no slouch. I mean, I can get in and out of there. I mean, I work my butt off year round, you know, as a workout guy to 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 be able to handle these situations and the loads. But it still took us six hours. And I'll tell you why. It was the heat that was killing us. Yeah. If it would have been an hour and a half and it would have been 30 to 55 degrees, it would have been nothing. I mean, it isn't even remotely close. It's just you're just getting the job done. But when the heat hits you. Oh my goodness. It's just brutal. It beats you and beats you and the dust is flying up off your feet. And it's just, it's just not the same, you know? So if guys are worried about distance in, in packing something out, you know, take, take into consideration how hot it is at that time, because if it's cooler weather, you know, it, it makes all the difference in the world. This year, Paul did not shoot a bull with his bow, but he killed a cow with a muzzleloader. And when we killed that cow, I was there. It was like 18 degrees. And we covered about a mile and a half to get this cow out. And it was similar. And it was like nothing. It was a cakewalk because the temperature, we weren't sweating. It wasn't beating us down and wearing us down. It was not the same at all. Mm -hmm. And it took us two trips on both of them. So let's talk about your, what did you guys do just out of curiosity? Like, dude, you've elk hunted so long. You've done this so much. People are really going to find this juicy. Like, did you pull the guts out? Did you take the meat off the bone? Did you have to stage it above water? Did you just get it hanging and get a wind? Like, uh, take us through breaking it down. Um, we know it took two trips to get it out, but what'd you guys do before that? The same thing I do on almost every single bull I've ever killed. And my right. son's. And and it's pretty repetitive. Most of the time, we're nowhere near water, uh, like 99.9%. There is no water anywhere mm -hmm. around. So mm -hmm. no matter what the temperature is, you know, we've even killed them in 90 degrees. We've killed them, you know, in, in Wyoming and probably three other states, including Idaho. And, and most of the time as archery hunters, the temperature is hot. You know, once in a blue moon, we will get some cooler weather, but... What we do is we do the, the gutless method. We've done the gutless method before the gutless method was even a gutless method. I mean, really. I mean, we have done it forever. I, I I mean, ever since Paul was probably 13 years old, he's 42. And we've done the gutless method just, I mean, a long, long time. The difference in our gutless method, I think, is I don't like starting on the spine area or on the side of the L. It's just not me. It is a piece of cake to go right up the, 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 the belly. It's nothing to it. I mean, for people to have issues with the intestines and the guts coming out because they're in the stomach area, guys, you're just, you're being reckless. You're stabbing elk and then trying to cut them. And that's not what you do. I mean, when we're doing it, we usually will go, for me and Paul, we're there on, on a lot of these bulls. And so what we do at our style is to pull out a Wyoming saw. We do it on every single elk. We pull out a Wyoming saw, pulp getting it put together. I go to the elk and I ring right around the joint with, I have a, I have a hide knife. I bring two knives. One's for the hide hair. The other is for skinning. And I don't like using a really good knife, you know, a $300 knife on the hide. I just, if I had to, yeah, I'm going to, but I don't. And so I ring all four legs. 
so it exposes the meat and the bone area and he hands me the saw and a lot of guys say oh you don't need that you can do it with a knife well if you've never used a wyoming saw in one and a half minute you have all four legs off it's so fast it's just whack 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 with the and we use the hacksaw blade one not the not the wood cutting blade so that's what we do i, I have it all ready when he when he hands that thing to me i knock off four legs off and then we zip that thing right on the inside of the leg to the stomach on all four of them because you can do it even though the bull's on one side we just zip it to the stomach then we get up right next to the throat area and i take my two fingers my pointing finger and my center middle finger and once i get a little incision by the neck where there's no guts i get my two fingers under the hide and i pull and i put my knife between them no chance in the hell to ever cut yourself and mm -hmm. all i do is pull with my fingers i'm lifting with my fingers and i keep the knife blade right between them and just take that thing all the way back to his tail it's a nothing to it it's just and but i think i got a lot of guys fear because they're jabbing at it and pecking at it when they're doing that and if you got away from that now nah, i've never videoed it because we just always do it you know but that's how we do it we zip it and then we tie all four of the cuts from the legs to that point where, where it intersects where we've cut it from, you know, from the neck all the way back to his rear end. And so all we do from there, and we don't gut anything, we will do an autopsy. But what we do then is where the side he's staying, he, he is on, we now unveil uh, and expose the meat by skinning back the front leg and the hind quarter all the way to the back strap to the spine at about three inches over the other side, slice it up the neck. And, and, and just behind the ears from the neck and just skin everything back right there. So then we take off a front shoulder. We take off the hind quarter. And because there's two of us, Paul's usually the one whacking. And I hold the meat, hold the front leg up and it goes right into a bag. The bag is sitting there. We already have them in our pack. We have them all rolled up. You know what I mean? They're not yep. just laying full length. We roll them all up. So that they're very easy to do. And we put the front shoulder into one and then we take the hind quarter and we shove that into one. So we don't have the whole leg sticking out. All it is is like the hind quarter. It's cut right where you can put your hand into the handle, you know, mm -hmm. and have like a beer mug handle there. Yes. And that's we cut it just above so we don't lose that. And, and we put that into one bag. That bag is done. We now cinch it up. And, 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 if, we, and if it's really hot, a lot of times we're fighting bees and we're fighting uh, horse flies. And so what we do is we carry cayenne pepper with us. It's a red cayenne pepper. We both carry one bottle of it and it's powder. And so if it's really hot and they're real bad, the minute we pull that meat back or the hide back, we now we, we put it all over the meat real fast. All you got to do is sprinkle it and the bugs hate it. They will not land on it. They start. They try. And so a lot of times, you know, when you're up there taking the leg, we'll take a piece of the flank, loose white meat and junk, and we'll throw it as a decoy where they can go and do something with it. But on a bad bug year, you know, with the insects, if mm -hmm. the, you would sprinkle like a cayenne red pepper, you cannot believe what it'll do. They just completely stay away from it. They hate it. And I'm allergic to bees. And so it works perfect for me to be able to do that and be, and we don't do it on every elk. We just do it in those heat time areas where they're infested. I mean, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of meat bees and, 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 and horse flies here. I'm not talking about a few little things flying around. I'm talking, they cover your meat, but you put the pepper on it. They're gone. They do not like it. So throw a couple decoys pieces and the leg that you cut off at the joint. And usually they're satisfied and kind of stay away from you for the most part. But so once we get to that point, we now take the back strap off. 
once the front and rear rears off, guts are still intact. And we throw the back strap and the tenderloin into the front shoulder bag. Now we take all, we do hardly ever take the rib meat because we just don't care, but we'll take all the neck meat we want and everything on that side. And it goes into our front shoulder bag. By the time that bag is done, it's getting really close to the weight of the hind quarter bag. I'll say, yeah. Yeah, it's real close. And so we caught two bags there. And so as we roll the elk over to the other side, and now all we do is repeat, take the hide all the way back. And, and, and if we, for some reason, you know, we take the high back, the other legs off. So we have four bags when we're done front shoulder, back strap, tenderloin, and all loose meat is going into that bag. So now you have roughly, you know, guys will come up with all kinds of ideas on what a quarter weighs, but on a normal hind quarter, I can tell you, we've weighed a ton of them. And the largest hind quarter I have ever weighed was 81 pounds. And guys yeah, think they weigh a hundred. That's huge. That's big, it's, man. This was a 353-inch bull, and most of the six points we ke- we kill, if you really do weigh them and you're honest about it when you get out, you'll find the normal bull uh, will run anywhere from 65 to 72 pounds mm-hmm. for a five or six point. That's about what they weigh. They don't weigh 90 and 100. They just, if they do, you maybe you have some real monster Roosevelt somewhere or something where something is 15 years old and really got some weight on it. But for the most part, they don't. So we do that. By getting the and and sometimes when we're taking the the uh, the tenderloin out, I will add that the elk because of the heat they start bloating some and so a lot of times what we do is I'll take that Wyoming saw and I'll just take like the first inch and a half of it and I'll score like two or three ribs right about where the where the tenderloins are and just score them and you can just reach over and pop them with your hand and it alleviates that pressure and opens that area up and it takes like seconds. And we don't try to do it with a knife and get it where it's by the spine. It's just a pain in the butt. You just hit it real fast and hard with that Wyoming saw and it just scores it and they pop because those bones are still soft, you know, from life. And they're very bendy. They're not like a a rib bone that's been sitting out in the sun for, you know, months where they're hard as a brick. They're not like that. They're very soft and bendy. So they snap. But that's one of the things that opens up the tenderloin area. And and usually once we got him down like that, we want to see the damage. So then we'll go through a couple of ribs where the arrow went in or out. It really doesn't matter. And we'll open them up. And we'll just look to see uh, right where we hit. Was it, you know, heart, liver, lungs? You know, we want to see it. So we like doing the autopsy part just for personal use. But basically, when we're done, we have four elk bags completely loaded down. So, you know, you're looking at, I mean, you've done it many times. I mean, you're looking at your your elk bags probably running somewhere around easily in the 280-pound range for all four of them. Uh, Usually, it isn't any less than that. I mean, we are hunting usually five and six point bulls anyway, but, but it usually falls somewhere in that parameter, uh, it, it, you know, for anybody that might be interested. But, but if you're out there like we are, we roughly have a 20 pound pack in our back with all our water, our food for the day. You don't know how long it's going to take you to find and kill an elk. So you're ready with that. And we use XO packs. I, I mean, I absolutely love them. I've used everything it seems like out there, and I love that pack. It, it, it's really fast, easy, efficient, carries 100 pounds like like no problem, you know. And I know there's other good packs out there, but that is the one that we, we seem to use these days. And uh, it loads up real good, and we don't put anything in the bag. We put everything on the frame of the pack, and then four buckles attach it, and that's it. 
it's really fast and simple. My, my, my main bag stays empty or any side pockets. It allows me to put my own personal belongings in it without having meat in it or a meat bag. So I, I like that about it. But, okay. but basically, that's how we break them down. I like it. Put your biology hat on and keep wearing your elk nut X amount of, like, f- how many years of elk hunting? 40-something? Yes. Okay. So wear that hat and wear your biology hat. And let's try to, like, let's try to figure this out. Like, okay, September 2nd, this bull was a mature bull. He was going to rut. He was going to have cows, most likely. He did have cows? Yeah, he had cows. Okay. Work your way backwards just out of curiosity from for, for people that just are still trying to learn what elk do. Like, and I know you don't know for sure, but give it your best guess, Paul. Like, okay, how long did this bull have cows? When did he, when do you think, like once the velvet came off, did in, in that country, do you think he had to go five, 10 miles to his rutting grounds? Um, did he have a specific cow, lead cow that he liked to hook up and, and, um, did some young slappy bull gather this herd up and he showed up one night in late August and said, get out of here. Um, like I'd love to hear just curiosity wise with all your elk behavior knowledge, like work your way back from September 2nd. How did that bull get to where he was? No, nah, he never stole those cows. <clears throat> those are his, you know, to begin with. And, and there was only probably three or four, okay. but he was a really good bull for the area. And there's no doubt in my mind, he would have ha- ended up having a few more. And, and yes, there was no hot cow in the group. I could tell he wasn't being defensive in that manner whatsoever. He wouldn't even answer a cow call. And so this is very common from all the years I've hunted is, 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 is rare as the case. Do I ever have elk show excitement or a keen desire for a cow call in the first six, seven, sometimes even eight days of, of September. And so I rarely use them. I will test the waters because you never know when you might find that one. But there's no doubt in my mind that five it's a 5% success rate using a cow call early on. Unless you want to kill cows and spikes. And I'm, I'm not interested in that. So I'm targeting bulls here, guys. But if I'm interested in nothing but cow spikes or anything that might show up, then yes, I'm not only going to use a cow call, but I'm going to use specific cow sounds that require an action or reaction from other elk, any elk. So I'm going to go into sounds like the regathering sound, a lost cow sound, separated, calf, you know, things like that. That requires assistance or aid. You see, all those do. But a cow call doesn't. It just says there's an elk over there. It doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't mean something that a curiosity wouldn't show up. But that is how I would approach that early season if I was just trying to put a meat on the ground. But I'm not. So I, I, I kind of stay away from those and I use sounds that are going to target the bulls and try to keep the cows and spikes away. And so in this case, yeah, that bull, he had cows. They were his. He didn't steal them. He wasn't no little raghorn for the area. You know, I've hunted Idaho for so many years and killed a lot of elk here. That was a good bull. That was a good, mature uh, a bull that you're going to find on an over-the-counter hunt, especially within a mile and a half of roads and stuff. And so that definitely was that kind of, of a bull. I would say that I know he had three or four cows with him because I found the sign after we killed him that there was other elk there. And, but we never heard another bugle. So when you, when you, when you see that and, you, and the aroma of, of elk smell was non-existent, it was nothing. 
No, he wasn't pissing on himself. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, you almost had to walk right up to him. I've killed elk in the rut where my nose actually led me to them. Like, mm-hmm. I thought he was over here, but man, the strong, the smell so strong. And it took me over, and there he was piled up. You know, it doesn't mean we wouldn't have found him without that. But, but you know, yeah. you're going to find elk that way. This one, psh, nothing, zero. But he, he wasn't protective. He was protective of his domain, not because of another bull trying to steal anything. No, that's yeah. not what it was at all. He yeah. was protecting his piece of real estate, and he was not willing to share it. It's just like bulls. I don't know how much you've hunted areas, uh, Dan or others, where you focus on these areas because you've killed seven or eight bulls there. And, and when you do, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that you're killing these bulls in this small proximity. I mean, like a half a mile range. That's very small for me. A half a mile, whether you're going north, south, east, or west, nothing's over a half a mile. It's all right there. What that tells you is no matter what time of day you're in there, you're within hearing distance of an elk. Because when I'm hunting tight country, I do this purposely. When I get into benchy area and steep country, I notice in, in thick timber that these elk never go anywhere. That's until they're pushed out. But if you're hunting more open terrain or semi-open, it's very common for a bull to go one to three miles, sometimes further in sagebrush country. They can go four or five miles before they bed and feed or where they water. But in tight timber country, I've learned this for many, many years now, that when I'm getting to country where there's no trails and no other hunters, there's just these little hidey holes. These bulls will stay right there. They're there in the morning. They're there in the afternoon and they're there in the evening showing that they live right there. They don't leave. And, and again, that's a perfect slow play at times because you may hear a bull, but he's not aggressive. He doesn't have a hot cow. And that is the bull that I'm going to suck right in with one bugle. I'm hunting that country. I know he's always within earshot of me. And so I trust myself, the confidence and past results that I can suck him in. And so, you know, those are huge things that when you're hunting country of how I'm going to approach it. So on that bull, he was in that type of country. And I knew that as soon as he got into this area, it didn't matter if he had a hot cow or not. If he did, what that does is double my chances of quick success because now he's protective over the cows as well as his domain. In this case, I was playing on domain only. And, and I, we knew that. But when he fired up and bugled, you know, cut us off twice, once we got within 150, and that's what we were. We were roughly 150 when Paul set up. That's all it took. And, and what I was getting at is these bulls, when, when they live in an area like that, they will, they will make a, a – oh, what do you want to call it? They, they, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. They'll make their rounds. Have you ever seen them do it? You'll know about where they're bedded. I know in these areas that I hunt, I know about where they bed. But these bulls will leave early in the morning, and they will make their rounds of their area, almost the perimeter of it, of their comfort zone, that they don't want anything in around. And they will do this. They'll come down maybe a quarter of a mile. It, you know, there's nothing set in the stone here. Some may only be doing hundreds of yards above, below, left, and right. Some are do a quarter of a mile from that bedding spot. And what they'll do almost just before light is you'll hear them bugle and he'll bugle here. And the next, you know, he's bugling here and he's bugling. here. He's testing the waters. He wants to know if there's anything out there. And if anything answers, and I've been there when other bulls answered and he would just fire back at him sometimes two or three times. 
from that spot. And you can hear the other bull bugle. And it's like he's just, and he's heaving and he's moving. And all of a sudden he'll bugle again. And he'll make his rounds around his perimeter. And mm-hmm. when he's done, he goes back to his bedding area. Do it again the next morning. Sometimes he'll do it in the evening. But I've been in those areas where he would skip a day or two and not do it. It's just, they're elk, you know, they're flesh and blood. But then all of a sudden he gets right back into his routine, even though he never left his bedding area, he's still right over there. But you'll see them get very defensive for their spot. And one of the bulls I called in, if you saw that little video, I called him in for my grandson to 12 yards, a nice six point. He was making his round. I could hear him coming down, down. All of a sudden he cut around to the left. So I set up with Paul. I got maybe 15 yards below him, and I called that bull into 12 yards. Really nice six-point. And he came in, and, I, and this was probably the eighth or ninth. I mean, it was still not that late, but I got into his domain, and he had no hot cows. I heard a bull bugling probably between a quarter and a half a mile away, and this bull would just scream back at him, letting him know, keeping it bay. And, and, and so how did this bull react? He reacted like any bull would. That bull did not encroach on his area. And so this bull was satisfied. The real bull there. Well, so the other one was a real bull too. But he was satisfied because that bull was doing what he asked. He didn't encroach. He kept his distance. They probably knew each other, probably got their pecking order down, you know, in August and you know, whatnot. They know each other in their area. But the point is, is to catch that bull and understand what he's doing. Because, see, a lot of times you don't have to call that bull. If you hear him making his round and he's bugling here and he's bugling here and he's like on the same level. And maybe he's moving up a little bit. But you can tell this bull is not moving fast. He's not going from feeding to bedding. He is making his rounds in his area, in his domain, his piece of real estate that he'll probably hold on to for anywhere from a week to 14 days. And then they move on, and that area doesn't mean squat to them, and they have another spot. You know, that's just how elk are. They don't feed a spot out for 30 days usually. They usually will move or get pushed, predators, hunters, whatever. But catch that bull making his rounds, and sometimes you don't have to do any calling. I went in. This was several days later. I went in and got on another bull into another area and had this bull while he was making his rounds. I was Paul and, and, and Trey was again. Got him all set up. This bull walked right in front. But Trey, we were trying to kill, get him to kill, kill a bull, and he just – he had such a hard time when to draw. How you know? Just so it was. Oh, yeah. it, it was a lot of fun. And Paul could have killed three more bulls with his bow, but he wouldn't bring it when he was with his son. I mean, yeah. so we had him there. He could have definitely filled a tag, no problem. What do you think these timestamps are of these bulls making their rounds? Oh, definitely before the twelfth. After that, they their cows are coming in. More satellites are harassing them, and everything is has changed. They don't have that confident. Uh, calm mindset because when a bull's doing that, you can bet he's not leaving hot cows a half a mile above him up there near the Absolutely area. not. No way in the world is he going to do that. So this is before hot cows are coming into play, but at the same time, as he makes his rounds bugling, what do you think he's doing? He is letting other cows, anything in the area, know he's advertising himself. He's advertising. He's doing that. Yep, he's promoting. It's the same thing, you know. It's a, and if something answered him that wasn't a, a welcome. Uh, uh, elk like that you know another bull oh then everything is just aggressive you can tell by the emotion of his sound you see but at the same time he can attract cows doing this and it, during the rut that's what it's all about we all know it's about the cows but they also will will set themselves up 
in their area, and like the bull I killed, he was setting himself up in that area, and he was going to build his harem. That's what he was going to do. Yep. And, in, and, and he wasn't going to run around looking for them. They vocalize, and they bugle. And, and, and this is how they attract the ladies toward them. And the ladies choose the bull they want to be with. They, they could tell he was a mature bull. And so he would slowly build his harem in that fashion. You know, and so understanding that and understanding how to hunt that elk, how to call that elk or not call that elk, you, you, what I'm doing is and what other guys need to do is you want to play on his weakness. You see, if to walk in there and just say, so many people feel that just all bulls want cows. They just do. And they're so sold in their brain that everything's cow calling. And it doesn't mean they don't bugle, but they're so strong on it and they force the issue, even though the bull doesn't care. And he may have cows, but until the bull lets you know that he's interested, you are just beating your head against the wall. You will lose out in those battles more times unless you are one of the most patient people in the world and can sit there. You know, for a couple of hours. And, and, and one thing that I try to tell people these days is if you're hunting an area and let's say you go in there and you do a cold calling setup or a, a, a slow play and you're like, man, I've been here a half an hour. I know there's bulls bugling somewhere over here. I, I, I can't stay here that long. And you're wondering, I know that I heard a bull. But I, I don't know. Is he coming in? Is he not? You know, what I'm doing these days is I'm carrying a game camera with me. And I, if it's an area I know I'm going to come back through or I know I can come right back in or easily. It's not miles back. I'm going to set a camera right there. And I'm going to see if something ends up coming in. If it does, it's going to give me a timestamp. Like, dang, he came in 15 minutes after I left. Doggone it. You know, or did he not show at all? So it gives me the confidence I made the right decision. But, you know, it's a really important thing. A lot of times we got to utilize and take advantage of any little tool we can. And especially if it's around a wallow air and you just know he's right there somewhere. And, and, and again, just set that camera and let that do the work for you as you leave. And maybe you're going to come back by that spot. You see, five hours later, because you're on your way out. You see, you can take that camera with you right there and check it and see if he came. It, it, it will help us and give us the confidence that when we do call again from that spot or something else, that we're not just waiting long enough because he came slipping in. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, it's just little things like that that can help punch a tag. And, and Or maybe you can come back in the evening and do your setup and a calling thing again, and, and, and maybe you'll pull him back over there. You just don't know. But me, you know, I, I try to take advantage of every little situation. I don't care what terrain I'm hunting. If I'm hunting open terrain, you know, I, I don't I don't spot and stalk them. I wait for them to get into the cover. That's just what I'm going to do. I know there's guys that enjoy it, you know, and they do very well at it. But I feel I know it sounds so stupid, Dan, but I feel those guys do it because they don't know how to call. They just don't know how they know how to make elk sounds but they don't know how to effectively use them and suck that sucker right into them. And, and, and it's just so exciting. I mean, I know most of the bulls you kill and you've killed a thinking truckloads of them. I know you're calling most of them in. You are not sneaking around. And if you do, that's fine. But I know most of the ones you call in and you know why? Because there's such an adrenaline rush and a sex, a, a, such a, a sense of accomplishment that I see and I think you see over the other way, even though the other way is effective. Don't get me wrong. It really is. But I think, you know, it's different strokes for different folks and, 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 and really what gets your juices flowing. And, and, and when you talk to other hunters and they're buying materials and they're trying to learn things, when you talk to newer hunters, five years or, or, or less, you will find those hunters want to experience 
the Western hunt, the bugling bull. They're not out there trying to shoot them. It doesn't mean they wouldn't shoot a quiet elk or from a tree stand. I mean, you know, there's all these different ways, but most of them want to experience that TV glamour that they've seen that drew them over there in the first place or they're on YouTube. And that's what they want. And, and, and I guess that's the financial end of it. When you can feed on that and show individuals that this can work, guys, the reason a lot of them say it won't work, and I'm not pointing finger. There's so many good guys out there. But I was one of those guys that I felt, man, calling because, you know, you start getting the pressure stuff and it's like, ah, this doesn't work as good. Or I started realizing that I just had to be smarter in my sounds. I had to communicate with them. I could not just walk out there. Like 92% of the population that hunt over-the-counter elk know how to cow call and bugle. They all do. But yet they don't come back with anything. Only 8 9% do every year. And say, they know how to call too, but most of them know how to use those calls effectively. They know how to communicate. They're only using sounds the elk expect to hear. It sells them as another one of them. And, 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 and to me, that is the huge difference. That's the game changer. It's not just knowing how to make quality elk sounds. It's knowing what sound to use. It's just like when I'm getting on a bull and I do got him excited on a cow. I use the cow sound to call him over. I'm not using a mew or a whine. I'm using the sound she will use to call him her direction. You see, and that's the difference. It doesn't mean you can't use a regular cow sound and call on a bull. You can if he's all worked up and he's smelling hot cows everywhere. That's when cow sounds are the best. If you try to use cow sounds before a bull has not smelled a cow in estrus that year, they're futile. They're like nothing. It's just more of a, they're herd animals. I might go check out who that is. They don't care. But until they smell that pungent smell or taste it, and that's what they're really doing when they're glunking, they're slapping their tongue against the roof of their mouth, as we talked before. But they smell and taste that pungent sound, that smell. And so this is the thing that makes them killable after that, the rest of the year, because they want to scent check every cow. They know, have no idea who it is because they know most of the cows in their area by their, by, by their sound. You know, they, they went over this in July and August. They, they, they know them all. For the most part, but once you introduce a new one, me, you, or something gets pushed around by predators or hunters, other cows can move into an area. And so they have new voices. And so they're so ready to check those out and scent check them because they've had that estrus in their nose and in their mouth. And so they're much more susceptible to be called into with cow calling or cow calling and bugling or whatever your stage is set because, you know, sometimes you've got to get aggressive. But this is what I have found over the years, this culmination. It isn't one sound or nothing. No, you have to work for the time of year and test the water sometimes. Listen to the sound he's making once he does respond to you. What's his emotion? You know, and immediately that tells me, here's what I need to do to, to reel this bull in. And this is how I'm going to play him. And, and, and you, you're getting the idea of all that, too. I mean, you're doing it. You know, just don't force sounds down their throat. Because you're yeah. really good at those sounds. <laughs> Just don't force them because they read between the lines on that these days. And, I, and again, we're talking really on over-the-counter elk that, that, that see quite a bit of, of pressure these days. Dude, I love it. Well, I appreciate your time. I want to end with um, kind of a, like a teaser. For those that are, are coming to Elk Shape Camp in Boise only, we're going to have Paul there for a couple hours or whatever. And he's doing out of the kind of his of his heart. And so what, what are you going to cover Paul? Like, uh, the mic is in your hand. 
Um, we got these guys that want to soak up some of your experience, your knowledge. And by the way, I always like listening. I love podcasting with you, but it's way better in person because like your energy is so good. It's, it's so good. It's so genuine. It's so real. Um, so what can they expect? Like, what are you going to cover, man? There's no doubt, you know, I, I'm going to go through, uh, elk sounds and elk sounds in, in, in actual elk hunting situations. In other words, try to, to, to use real life stories, situations that, that we've been in and, 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 and generally have taken the elk, even if we didn't take them, it was only because, you know, maybe the angle was wrong or he came in at, at, at behind brush or something where we couldn't put an arrow in there or, or even the wind can change sometimes, you know, it just happens. But the point is, is how to call in elk, why we're switching from one sound to another and and very rare will you ever see us just making a sound and here come the elk running in i mean i wish that was the case in most uh, situations you will find that you have to direct them in with the sounds you have to convince them you have to know how to call them to you you know and sometimes you're going to be in those situations that you have the bull call you to him you know and that's what's such so nice about hunting you know, a darker timber or thicker country is, is that's completely possible because you have cover. So I'm definitely, uh, 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 trying to use the information that I feel helps us to call in elk every single year. And so I want to share those types of things, you know, and again, elk sounds are huge, you know, whether you're talking about pants or glunks or chuckling or, or grunting, you know, and, and the nervous grunt and, 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 uh, you know, lost cow regathering sounds, the contact buzz all have their place. And so when people start to recognize that this sound sends this message, you know, it, it becomes very easy. It's just like you're talking to somebody in Chinese. You're not using three words or four words. You, you have to know connective words, you know, uh, so that you're, 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 you're giving them information that they can relate back to you on. And what if they relate back to you in a way that you have no idea what they're saying? Because, hey, well, I don't know those words he's using. I mean, what is that? See, this is elk. When elk respond back in many cases, you have to understand what you're hearing. And so when you hear it, you know, why would a bull chuckle and not grunt? Why would he grunt and not chuckle? So once you understand why he's using it, a grunt and a chuckle basic is the same thing. That's all it is. It's no different, but they have a different message because a chuckle is much more inviting. Come on over here. Hey, I'm over here because he heard you cow call or whatever, and he's trying to bring you. And so you're hanging up and you keep calling him and calling because you want him to come. Well, he now gets annoyed and frustrated because you're not coming. So he now elevates his, 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 his excitement or his enthusiasm or his frustration by grunting you now. He has taken it to the next level of emotion, just like me and you talking. And all of a sudden, I'm showing a little higher level of emotion, of excitement. I mean, it's because my emotion has changed, even though we may be talking about the same subject. You see, it's, it, it's that excitement. 
and 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 when you see a bull using emotion, he's just trying to encourage you to come, or maybe he's encourage you to stay away. And that's what you're reading. And so that's what I like talking about is is not just making elk sounds and this means that or that means this is when you use those and what to listen for on the on on, on when you're when you're hearing another elk respond or talking on his own. But that's what you know. I like talking about things like that and also opening it up to the audience. Because a lot of times guys come in hopes of hearing something covered, and then all of a sudden it's not. And so I like to open it up. So, yeah, if you give me free reign for one or two hours, I would love to entertain other guys' things that on their mind that may be bothering them or they need answers to. And so, you know, it's kind of a complete package there to be able to entertain that as well as share some thoughts myself. And I like making all the elk sounds when I'm there. So I usually will cover all that vocally. And, 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 and probably even have photos and stuff, you know, uh, that I've used. I, I, when we did the one, you know, there in, in Montana, I didn't have any of that, but, but I have used them on other ones where I, I, I show the picture of a bull down and then explain what happened. I'm not a big video guy. I'm just not that guy that runs out and takes videos of hunts. I just, I don't know. I just not. So I have photos. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to all these camps. I, I'm looking forward to them, but I'm really stoked up at the Boise one, especially it's going to be fun to hang out. I haven't seen you in a couple of years. It'll be good to catch up. And, uh, thank you. Thank so you. Dirk's going to be there. And you know, everybody knows that Dirk is just a phenomenal caller. So to have, you know, both there at that time and, and to listen to both ends of it, I think that's just a, that's a mind blower. I mean, I actually look forward to hearing Dirk you know, talk and, 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 and explain some of his sounds and, and how he's making some of those sounds. And yeah. so I hope people understand that, you know, just because I say, Oh, this sound means this and this means that there's others out there that can demonstrate how to make those things where it'll blow you away, how good they are. I mean, <laughs> yeah. They really are. So we can all learn from stuff like that. Believe me. I know I look forward to it. Yeah. Learned. I learned some stuff today for sure. I hope you guys did too. I hope you guys uh, appreciate Mr. Elknut taking time out of his evening to come on here for this. Uh, the reason why I like Paul is that I want to be like him when I grow up. 65 going on 66. I want to be out tearing it up, hunting with my boy, and it just never gets old. And honestly, I love your enthusiasm for elk hunting, and I love that majority of your elk hunting takes place on that public land, over-the-counter stuff, because it's super special, and it's dear and near to my heart. So thanks for coming on, Paul. Guys, thanks for listening. Remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, thank you very much, man. Hey, dude, you're so cool. I... Uh... <laughs> Thank I don't you know so about much. that. I just, <laughs> I just talk. <laughs> I just love your enthusiasm. It, I, I, I did three podcasts today. Oh, Nobody's yeah. got the enthusiasm that you do. Like you got me so fired up to go elk hunting. <laughs> um, just telling your story. I was visualizing the bench and dark timber and with. I just, you're a great storyteller, man. That was cool. That was great <laughs> podcast. Well, you know, it's not that hard when uh, you're right there, you know, and it just happened. <laughs> So, you know, well, tell me this. I know we're off the air there. I, I know you killed a couple elk this year. I mean, what was your basic story behind him? I know I, I wish you would tell him on the podcast, but, but you'll probably give so many that you do get to relate to, you know, rate, relate them. But, but tell me, because I don't know. Yeah, so the, the Idaho bull I killed, I did call in um, solo, and he was um, a, a small six point. I would consider him a satellite six point. He was hanging out with another five point and another six point, and then there was a herd bull above them. And I think this was September 12th, 
and um, just was trying to get past him to get to this herd bull. But honestly, he just came into uh, a cup like just cow calls and a little squeaky bugle. So he came in. I wasn't going to pass him up. I shot oh, him. Oh, I wouldn't have either. I would have shot him. Yeah. <laughs> so I shot him. Before that, I spent a couple days in Montana and got into some great bugling action. It was awesome. Um, and didn't really need to call much. These bulls were bugling on their own. These bulls were pestering each other, so it was just sneaking in. But I just never made it happen. Um, I did have one really cool call in using a decoy out in like wide open country that was steep. And this deke worked so good. I called this bull in. He smelled me. The wind was swirly. Uh, we had a front blowing in. He smelled me, took off running, and then I got him to fire back up 20 minutes later. He saw the decoy again and came in again, even closer. Um, but he was kind of quartering two at 50, and I didn't want to take that shot. So I didn't. Um, went to Wyoming. That was... Uh, I basically snuck in on a, on a herd getting water in the evening and shot the bull. I didn't make a sound. Um, that works. That works. And then Montana was a really um, more like a – that was a true spot and ambush. Uh, watched a bull all day. in This was early October. So watched him with his three cows. He was a, he's a good bull. He didn't bugle too much. He was pretty quiet, but he did chase one of his cows around throughout the day a few times. So she was kind of hot. And I just felt like I couldn't get the wind right no matter what I tried. So I just hung out until probably the last 30 minutes of daylight and made my move and saw him go into this timber patch. And it's wide open country and it was steep. And I just slithered in there and kind of just Elmer Fudd, slow, still hunting <laughs> and saw him before he saw me and shot him at 50. And so, yeah, that was my season. Um, That's it was a lot awesome. of meat. <laughs> yeah, so my mom, I did give my last bowl to my mom, my two sisters, and my dad. But I yeah. kept two of the up for myself. Mm. All right, guys. I let, uh, usually when the podcast is over, we hang out and talk for a little bit longer. So I gave you guys a little tease on what that's what that's like. But uh, I'm so fortunate to be able to podcast with amazing elk hunters. I learn, a lo- I learn so much from everybody, and I never know it all. And neither do you. We're constantly learning. We're blessed to be elk hunters. We're blessed to be bow hunters. We're blessed to be outdoorsmen, sportsmen, providers, leaders of our household. We're blessed to know what delayed gratification means and have something to train for, something to work hard towards year-round. Don't squander a second. There's always something you can be doing day in and day out to make yourself the best possible version of yourself, even if it means breaking a sweat when you don't want to, eating a salad when you don't want to, putting your phone down, engaging with your family when you don't want to, and being intentional with your time. I appreciate you guys. You have a lot of choices when you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to ours. We will catch you on the next one. Oh, and remember, separation is in the preparation.